We'll turn this morning with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 27, as we continue our journey through the first book of Psalms, that's through chapter 41, we're on chapter 27 this morning. As you turn there, I want to remind you perhaps of something you've thought about or wondered about. Many times I've been asked, and many times I've wondered, how do people get through difficult times alone and without faith? In the end, they don't. But those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are together with the saints of the Old Testament have the God of our salvation. Let's read these words. Revealing to us especially the heart of David, a man after God's own heart. David writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, Yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we consider these words of God's design inspired by the Holy Spirit, let us bow briefly in prayer. O Lord, we pray that you would grant us today understanding from your word, giving us hearts to understand and ears to hear it. Lord, by faith, give us your spirit to remind us of these words at just the right times that we might be encouraged, exhorted, comforted, and strengthened. And Lord, I pray that all the words spoken here and the meditations and thoughts of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, if they are not consistent with your word, let them pass away and not be heard from again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old movie, an old movie that my family likes to watch just about every Christmas time. 
In the family in that movie, the father figure tends to jump into things without thinking things through. You know how it is, particularly in these movies. They seem to be so foolish, and yet also it can be so realistic, can it? We tend to jump into things without thinking about the consequences or thinking about what's taking place. This particular individual in the movie, he quits his job suddenly, moves across the country, and attempts to start up a business without the needed collateral. Now, at a crucial point in the movie, with all its ups and downs, of course, it's a family movie, so it's not uh, too terribly uh, awful, uh, but in this particular sense, they, they need some funding, and they need it now, and this banker who is trying to take advantage of them is trying to basically uh, get a hold on this business and the property and take it away from them, and the father has no concept that this is what is taking place, and his son His young son is at his side trying to get his attention before he signs this paperwork. And his son just kept saying, Daddy, Daddy, Dad, will you listen to me? And the father just keeps waving him off. And yet the son still will say, Dad, Dad. Now, whatever that movie was about, it's this desire that the son has to get his father's attention and to be with his father, and to be a part of a life with the father in it, that is what this psalm is all about. That's what's precious here in this psalm, is the desire for us to be with the heavenly father. David simply wants to be with God. So therefore, as he goes through this psalm, Some, of course, it's interesting here. Some say this psalm is so different than others, it's actually two psalms put together, verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 14, because the last part of the psalm is a typical lament psalm. But the first part of the psalm started with confidence in God. And yet here it fits so closely together because the reason why we cry out to God is because we have faith in him. So here it is. Fear is unnecessary. Fellowship is desired. The face of Yahweh, the Lord, is sought. And faith, then, is expressed and commended. First of all, for the believer, fear is unnecessary. Here's what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And then these two rhetorical questions. Whom shall I fear and of whom shall I be afraid? The same question, really. But why is fear unnecessary? You know, this isn't Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, saying the only thing to fear is fear itself. No, this is scripture. This is where it says the only thing to fear is God himself. And yet here it says, who shall we fear? Well, the Lord, he says, is my light. Light is so very important. If you were to perhaps do a survey of all the children in the world, perhaps one of the things they fear the most is the darkness. And the scriptures are so full of this particular analogy declaring that God is light. You see, we fear the darkness, don't we? We fear the darkness because we can't see what's going on. 
And we fear the darkness because we don't know what's there. And we fear the darkness because all of our fears can be contained in that absence of knowledge of what's going to happen or the absence of knowing who is there or what's going to take place. But he says, it's my my adversaries and my foes who will stumble and fall. Why? Because they remain in darkness. You see, the enemies stumble and fall because these enemies are not just David's enemies. These enemies are God's enemies, those who have not placed their faith in him. And so therefore, when David says, the Lord is my light, he's painting this contrasting picture between him who has a relationship with the the everlasting almighty God and those who do not. And he says, those who don't have that relationship remain in darkness. They will stumble and fall, but the Lord for me is light. And of course, if you didn't get the message, he also says, the Lord is my salvation. Now he says in the first part of verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. It's a reminder that he had real enemies. These, in essence, who are cannibalistic enemies. Spell that on your outline, cannibalistic. That's a hard word to spell. But the idea here is that, that they are, in essence looking to take him away and to consume him. Not literally here. This is a figurative speech. It's poetic after all. It's a reminder that they don't care how he's going to be destroyed as long as he is. They want him eaten up. But David says, no, they can't do it. Why? Because the Lord is his salvation. Yes, in the moment of David's life, yes, deliverance and salvation from the enemies in his time and so forth, but also isn't there much more deeper meaning than this? Yes, salvation for eternity. And if that wasn't enough, then he says something else. He says, the Lord is my mountain stronghold. That is, the stronghold of my life or my refuge. Verse 3 says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. The word confident means I am trusting. It's a participle here. It's a constant or continuous action that he is doing. He has confidence even to go to battle. I haven't experienced battle like this. And of course, even our warriors today, for the most part, generally don't experience the same type of battles that David did. This was hand-to-hand combat. This was going out with the sweat and, and the strength and muscles of those warriors trained for battle and having to look them in the face and wield a sword against them. This is David not just going out against the Goliaths of the day, but going about real foes with terrible, terrible warfare. And he says, I can do this, why? Not because I'm a great warrior. Not because I have confidence that I'm better than the next guy. I can do this because God is my stronghold and my strength. I remember when I was in school in junior high, and we got to play dodgeball and P.E., And we had a particular brand of dodgeball. I think every school or every 
PE teacher has a particular brand. I don't remember what it was called. It might have been called prison ball or something like that. But I remember that those guys with those balls, I think they used volleyball sometimes, and they stung. And they would whip those things as hard as they could at you. Now, you could try to catch it, but imagine catching a volleyball thrown as hard as one of those boys could throw it. And yet there were moments in which there was safety. You see, when you got hit by the ball, you went to jail. It was prison ball, I think is what they called it. And you got to jail and and you no longer were targeted anymore. But the other thing was you still wanted to get out of jail because you wanted to win, right? And so your teammates would have the opportunity to try and get you out of jail so they would go across the enemy's lines in in the danger and and the ability for them to to get you at closer quarters with these volleyballs. And, And they would go to try and touch you in jail so that they could release you and give you safety. But for that moment after they touched you, until you crossed the the enemy's line once again, you had safety. They could not hit you. They they would be punished if they, uh, for some reason, threw the ball at you while you were getting that while you were being uh, freed from jail. This is how we can face the world: is someone has to come and rescue us from the perils of this world, including our own sin, and give us a path of safety so that we can once again stand before the enemy. This is why fear is unnecessary. Not because we just are confident and we're confident in our abilities and we're confident in the gifts that God has given us. No, we're confident and we don't fear the enemy because God is with us. He's our light so we don't stumble and fall. He's our salvation so that our enemies would be thwarted. He's our mountain stronghold so that we could even go into battle and face these enemies. And what then is the desire of our heart with this in mind that the Lord is our light, our salvation, and our refuge? It is to desire his fellowship. David says one thing. Have I asked of the Lord that that will I seek after? You see, there's a focused and undivided desire for David. Now, you would think David's desire would be to be the best ruler that the kingdom of Israel would ever know. You would think that his desire would be to be the best warrior that history has ever seen. Or perhaps as a poet and musician that he would be someone that would be remembered for his wordsmithing. But no, his greatest desire is to dwell in the Lord's house. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you remember Psalm 23 that you love so much perhaps, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Always dwell in the Lord's house. Does that mean that we want to move into the sanctuary? What does it mean to dwell in the Lord's house? In one sense, it means that we're always in his presence. And therefore, he describes what it means. Two things. First of all, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The word here is the word kindness. When we look at the beauty of the Lord, this isn't to say, oh God, you're such a beautiful, handsome fellow. No, it's to look on the kind acts he has done through history. 
and the wonderful acts of salvation that he has done in scripture and through all of his people and through the history of the church and to look at all the mercies of God so that in another place, Jeremiah would write, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. You see, we want to experience that kindness and grace of God day after day after day. And the other thing he says here is to investigate in his temple or in his palace. What does it mean to investigate or to inquire? What well, means this? We're searching out the will of God and how to accomplish it. In fact, that's why Paul would say about the Berean church in the book of Acts that they were constantly searching the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. They were investigating the things that Paul said about Jesus, the Savior. And they were comparing it to the kindnesses and grace of God in the Old Testament to see if it was really true that the Messiah had come. And evidently many of them thought so because evidently many believed. And even today, there are churches named Berean churches in our own country. You see, the focused and undivided desire here is to be in the Lord's house. Verse 5 says, why? He will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. You see, he has confidence in the Lord's protection when all the things of the world seem to be coming against him. There's, first of all, the imagery of the royal hut that's here. When he says this, he will hide me in his shelter. The idea here is it's a hut out on the battlefield. It's where the king is in the middle of the battle. The guards are all around this temporary shelter protecting the king. This is the imagery in the midst of the battle that is fierce and fought with great strife. Here is the king gaining a moment of rest as he consults with his advisors and uh, it's the protection of his royal guard. And he says, God will let us hide in his shelter in the day of trouble. Then the second illustration is this, the vision of the boulder of protection, of course, and that place in those times there was rocky terrain and it was not clear that you would have a level ground to fight upon and so from time to time as the enemy would progress against you there might be an opportunity for you to gain a rest in the battle by hiding behind a large rock or in the cleft of that rock and here it says God will do this It says he will lift me high upon a rock. The idea is he will either be up on a rocky place looking down on his enemies safe from them or he will be behind this rock up above them so they cannot fight him. He's basically saying this, I know God will be with me and protect me. And then verse 6 he says, I will have joy because the Lord will give me victory. My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This is a reminder of what it is to come to worship. I remember another family movie. The depiction was of pastor's kids moving to a new church, and they open the doors of the sanctuary of this church they've never been in for the first time, and they open the doors and they say, God, are you there? Now, in one sense, that movie producer was ridiculous because if pastor's kids are properly trained, they know that God is everywhere. 
That's one of our catechism questions, after all. And they also know that God is amongst his people. It's not the place where God dwells, although he will dwell in a place where his people are. It's the people of God in which he dwells. In fact, the people of God, the church, is described as the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you came to worship this morning, did you come to worship? Or did you come for something else? Did you come to be around other people or to gain a reputation? Did you come because it was just the thing that you do out of habit every morning? Is it just because you thought you might gain something personally from the experience? Perhaps you're coming to hear good music or you're coming to hear other things or just to be around other company. Perhaps you're just lonely and want to be around other people. David wants to dwell in the house of the Lord to be with God. Are you seeking the Lord this morning? Are you gazing on his beauty and kindness and how he has acted throughout history? Are you looking to encounter the holy God who is by spirit here amongst us where two or three or more gather? Are you investigating his will? Or are you just coming to check the box for the day and then go about your business for the rest of the week? You see, the man of God desires this time of worship because he wants to be with God. Desires this time of worship because he wants to know the will of God. Desires this time of worship because he knows the fellowship with God is so sweet that he wants to seek his face. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Here he gets to the heart of the matter. He's already said, Lord, my undivided desire is to be with you. Even in the face of my enemies, I can confidently go out into battle knowing that you are my salvation and my light. And yet there is a reality that he's facing difficulties in this world. And he's crying for grace to intervene. Be gracious to me and answer me. And of course, this answer is a confident eager expectation that this God who is his salvation will intervene on his behalf. You see, he's not just saying, Lord, give me an answer so that I can audibly hear you're present with me. This is really a request to intervene on his behalf in the face of the enemy. And this is a heartfelt seeking of the Lord's face. Verse 8 is very difficult Hebrew. I don't know that I really understand exactly how it works, but the, the context is this. Lord, you want me to seek your face, and my heart, my heart says, I do seek it. Sometimes, what I really want is rest. I want to just sit down and watch a ball game. Sometimes I just want to do my own thing. Read a book, play a game. Just do whatever I want to do. And sometimes my desire is not to see the Lord's face, but to do what I want to do. David says, God wants us to seek his face. That is, our greatest heartfelt desire is to know, be with, and seek the will and purpose and person and presence of God himself. 
So David writes, verse 9, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Perhaps he's thinking about King Saul, his predecessor. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. This is a request for persistent presence in salvation. Now what is he talking about with his parents? Does this mean that Jesse and his mother... That the two of them at one point just said, well, we're not going to help you anymore, David. We see things are pretty tough. I mean, it could be. We don't know. We kind of get the impression Jesse was a pretty good guy in Scripture. We don't know much about him. But here's the point. They died. They abandoned him. Whether they literally abandoned him during his life and said, hey, we can't help you now, David... Or whether they said, David, we think you're plumb crazy because you're going out about the Lord's business even when King Saul is chasing you around the countryside. Or maybe they thought, hey, David, you've gotten yourself into a mess with Bathsheba. That's it. We have nothing to do with you. We disown you. Whatever it was, we do know that they abandoned him by dying. Whether that was their choice or not, everyone, as we say, is submissive to death and taxes after all. But God is the living God. And God will even say, Though a mother should forget her children, yet I will not forget you. He is the persistent presence in the salvation of his people. When we cry to God, we're not crying to someone who may or may not be there. We may be crying out to someone who may or may not answer in the timing that we want or may or may not give us the answer that we want or may or may not in that moment protect us from the enemy so that we might die or suffer terribly. But in the end, he will be with us. He will save us. He will give us a sense of his presence. So this is what David says in conclusion. Teach me your way. This is what it means to have faith, to seek guidance. He also says, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Now, of course, we know in that rocky terrain, this meant that here all the obstacles would be taken away, whether it was the obstacles of elevation or the obstacles of the rocky ground, and he would have a sure footing in order to escape from his enemies or to fight battles on the plain level. He's seeking God's guidance and clarity to know what to do. He also remembers the watchers who seek evil. He says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. He had just said, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. That word for enemies there is the word for those who are watching. Now, this is important for our society today. Our enemies are watching. Our society is seemingly set up now for the gotcha moments. The media is looking for the opportunity to see what your posts were 20 years ago, to see what your yearbook said in your youth, to see what it was that they can slam their political opponents or those who would claim to be righteous or have some sort of faith and yet be hypocrites. Our personal enemies seek the opportunity to destroy a reputation or hurt someone that they despise. You know what it is. If somebody really doesn't like you, they're just watching for that opportunity to discredit you and to put you down on a lower plane or cause you to lose something that you love. 
This is what David says is happening. In this section of Psalms, he's constantly talking about those who slander him. And here it is. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They are those who would slander him. They breathe out violence. They want him to be destroyed. And he's telling God, this is the situation. Not only do I face battles, not only can I go into warfare, but Lord, there are those amongst me who would slander me and discredit me and just are looking for the opportunity to destroy me and eat my flesh. What do I do? Verse 13. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, of course, these present blessings are a reminder that we don't see and then believe. We believe and then we see. This is the definition of faith. The definition of faith is to believe in things you are going to see because you have trusted on the purpose and person of the Lord. And he says, I believe I shall look upon your goodness. In other words, I know, I'm trusting that you will bring me blessings. Now again, we have to understand this does not mean it's always going to be exactly what we want or it's always going to be the things that we expect or perhaps even something that will save us in this life. When he says the land of the living, I think he means in the present. But we also know. The land of the living means eternity, don't we? So what does he do once he trusts in the Lord, seeking his guidance, being reminded of the situation he's in? He's commending others to that faith. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Your heart will take courage. That is the literal translation here. Wait for the Lord. He almost sounds like Joshua, doesn't he? That's what one commentator writes on this passage. That verse 14 is just Joshua in a nutshell. Saying, be strong and courageous, Joshua. And then what does Joshua tell the people of Israel? Be strong and courageous. Here it is. The answer is not to minimize our enemies, but to maximize the power that God has to deliver us and be with us, to protect us and to bless us. Charles Spurgeon says on this psalm, where there is no light to see our own darkness and to long for the Lord Jesus, there is no evidence of salvation. You see, our desire is to be with God. So when Steve read from Philippians and Paul said to be with Christ is far better, that's the desire of our heart, to be with the Lord With God, we are always the majority. With God, we are always triumphant over our enemies, even if we don't see that necessarily in our life. With God, we are greater than our enemies. With God, our delight is complete. Do you want to be with God? Let's pray. Father, help our unbelief. Help us to trust in you. Lord, help us not to consider the ways of the world so much more pleasant than your ways. 
Lord, help us not to desire to be with ourselves or with others above being with you. We pray, Lord, that in the times of darkness, you will be our light. In the times of distress and persecution, you will be our salvation. In the times of danger, you will be our protection. Guide us, Lord. Give us faith. Help us to know that you are God.